each of us are connected to food systems. So you and I have a vested interest in understanding its workings, challenges, and potential solutions. In my role at Google, one of my responsibilities is to ask, what are the impacts of our food choices? Not just on our individual health and well-being, but also on the food systems we are a part of, our producers, our suppliers, society, and the planet. I believe we all have a responsibility to ask big questions like this one. The answers can open a world of possibility. I invite you to join me in meeting the leaders who have dared to step up to answer these bigger questions to create a better food future for us all. This is Food Lab Talk. Thanks for joining me for another Food Lab Talk. I am Michael Bakker. In an ideal food system, no one would have to go to bed hungry. Fruits and vegetables wouldn't need to be rescued from rotting in fields or being sent to the landfill. But as you've heard over the course of this season, these are just a few of the challenges we're facing in our current food system. These are the challenges the FarmLink project has set out to solve. I think we said, it's like maybe it's just being a college student, like call it naive, but like we're going to try because what else can we do? You know, it's like, what's the other option? The alternative is food bank just completely runs out of, out of food. You have like literally freeway passes of lines. It's like we have to, to try something. James Kanoff co-founded the FarmLink project in 2020 while being a student at Stanford University. When the COVID-19 pandemic caused Stanford to send students home, James and his fellow classmates knew they had to do something to help their local communities. They created the FarmLink project with the intention to rescue surplus food from farmers and deliver to food banks for families in need, eliminate food waste, and fight climate change. On today's episode, you'll hear more about how the FarmLink project has grown to recover and deliver more than 110 million pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables. What inspired James to never stop in his pursuit of change and why his dream is to put himself and his co-workers out of business. Here's my interview with James Cannell. We started FarmLink at the beginning of the pandemic, and we actually had no intention of making an organization. At the time of the pandemic, there were millions of families that were flooding a charitable food system that was never really designed for a crisis. And at the same time that that was happening, farmers were being forced to throw away millions and millions of pounds of food because of closures to schools, hotels, and commercial restaurants. So you have on this one hand, all of this food that was going to waste. And then on the other side of this, families who were waiting sometimes like in miles long lines that ended up getting turned away at the food bank. And for us, that became really true at our local food bank. And they'd put out a thing that they needed to get either more food or more capital to buy more food. We didn't have any capital. And so we said, we're just going to start calling farmers and see if we can find some surplus. It's probably 150 calls where people said no, and they don't have anything or no, like, why is this college kid calling me? But on the 151st call, a farmer had surplus eggs, said, if you come pick them up, they're yours. So we rented a U-Haul truck drove to the farm, picked up the eggs and delivered them to our local food bank. And from that, 
FarmLink was born. I'm sure there's a little bit more to the story and you make it really, really straightforward. So tell a little bit more about the beginning of the pandemic. You were at the time at Stanford University? Yes. So I was in classes until we were no longer in classes. I think it was like one of our roommates was like one of the first people to actually get COVID uh, in the Bay Area. So that sent kind of everyone scrambling. They closed the university. We were sent home. And I kind of remember just the feeling where it felt like you were looking at not just the health crisis that was going on, but them talking about like converting universities into potential like makeshift hospitals. Then you have these like freeway passes that are filled with lines of people who are going to collect food. The grocery stores, like they were running out of food. It felt like the world was collapsing and like the guidance was for us to watch it collapse from our window. And that was like the best thing we could do. And it was like that feeling that I think a lot of other young people were feeling too, where like you'd been told, you know, in school, like, oh, when something, you got to do something, do something, do something. And then it actually happens and it's like, stay home and just, we're going to wait this out. And I think for a lot of young people who ended up starting the, the farming project, they felt differently. Talk a little bit more about the friends, the colleagues that you started it with. How did you find them and how did it ultimately work out? Yeah, I mean, so initially this was like anyone who would give it the time of day. So it tended to be like my close friends who were probably just doing this as a favor and like family members. So like pulling in my brother and my sister because they were all, you know, sent home too. So they were just literally calling farms on a spreadsheet, writing down the answer. What do they have? Calling food banks, figuring out what are people short so that we can go look for those items, coordinating trucks, et cetera. And so... Yeah, it was basically a ragtag group of, of young people trying to put this together. And then what I hear is that you started just a cold call farmers. And I think you had a learning that you started with actually calling small farmers. And they told you, dude, we have no waste over here. It's not us. Is that true? Yes. So if you think about it, if you like kind of Google like farm surplus or, or just like farmers in area, and you're reading about all this massive surplus, you're like expecting that they're going to be the the same, but the farmers who had their information online were like well-equipped to switch their supply chains. It was the farmers that weren't set up. So these large commercial farmers that, you know, they may have had the same supply chain for 10 years doing the same thing, serving a cruise line industry or whatever it was. They're not ready to just pivot like this. So these smaller farmers, they already have their information online. They're easy to pivot. Other people are having the same idea. They're calling them. They're getting their food. So they were like, this is the least amount of surplus we've ever had. And it was just hard to, hard to explain that to those two where you, you see these you know, images of like hundreds of thousands of, of pounds of eggs that are, that are being smashed every day and millions of gallons of milk being dumped. And yet all the farmers you're talking to seem to have no surplus. And then I hear you correctly on your 151st call, it was bingo. Yeah. I mean, we, we couldn't said come pick them up. We didn't have transportation. So like, what are we going to do? It's like, oh, okay, I guess we'll get a U-Haul. So rented a U-Haul truck, you know, drove to the farm. You have like you know, some 21 year old driving down the 405, you know, going, starting to say, go 25, just open the eggs, don't tip as you kind of, you know, make your right bank into to the area. So, you know, thankfully for everyone's safety, there's no longer students driving thousands of pounds of food around the freeways. But um, I think kind of the, the same spirit still applies to what we're doing today. Yeah. Where did it go from there? So you now had a U-Haul full of eggs. So where did you drop them off and were they happy to get actually a U-Haul full of eggs? Yeah. So that was the exact item that the local food bank was looking for. So it was actually, they told us that they were short eggs. And so that was why we were looking for that item. So yes, they were, they were very excited. And then how did it grow from there? 
did you have to call the next 150 farms to hope that with the 302 you would actually get success again? Yeah. So from there, more and more friends started to reach out and they said, hey, I'm seeing the same problem in my community where there's like kind of across the country. I'd love to get involved. I'd love to help. So we said, sure, here, join the Zoom, start calling farmers, start calling your local food banks, figure out what they need and let's just see if we can do this. And one by one, more and more students started to join and they were able to do the same thing. And once we had done enough deliveries, I think like there was one moment where everything changed, where an article came out in the New York Times about all the food that was going to waste out of this dichotomy between the food waste and millions of families going to this charitable food system that's not designed for this. And they ended up including FarmLink in it. And we had like literally stitched up maybe like 12 hours before this like little dinky website um, that just basically, you know, had our name like, hey, donate here if you want to help. We woke up that next day and there was like almost $100,000 from like small donations, like five, $10 adding up to that. And that sort of changed everything because all of a sudden, instead of students having to drive U-Haul trucks down freeways, we were able to pay truck drivers who might've been out of work at the same time. And so then instead we were just really coordinating logistics of getting truck drivers who would go pick up like 40,000 pounds, say of bananas, and then be able to deliver them to the local food banks within the region. Wow. And then how did it evolve? So if you go back to 2020, obviously there was an extended period of time where there's a broader need. But when you went into 2021 and 2022, tell me a little bit more about the evolution of FarmLink and the communities that you got to serve. Yes. So coming out of that moment and through the pandemic, hundreds of students ended up joining FarmLink from all across the country. And it was really almost like a bunch of self-governing college students who were delivering like millions of meals every week all around the country. So through the pandemic, it delivered about, I think, 30 million meals. And then the question was like, what's next? You know, is this just a pandemic problem? Are we just responding to a crisis and now we should all go back to school? Or is there something more here? And that's when we started to really learn from talking to the farmers that a lot of the surplus that we were recovering had nothing to do with the pandemic. This was every single year. This was standard operation. Like in the US, it's over 20 billion pounds of food that's going to waste at just at the farm level every single year. And that that was actually the supply that we were tapping into. And obviously you're aware like the pandemic made hunger in America worse, but this has been a shadow problem for a long time. One that like, for whatever reason, there's like not the appetite to address it. And we said, hey, let's, let's change this. Here's this simple solution, work with farmers, work with food banks, and we can try to make this happen. And so that sort of became the, the next evolution. You must have received the question on multiple times in the past as well, is that you originally told to go home and just wait for this to pass and just let others deal with the challenges. So what made you believe, well, that's not me. I just don't take no for an answer. What is it that caused you to say, well, screw that. I'm just going to make it work. I think we said, it's like, maybe it's just being a college student, like call it naive, but like, we're going to try. Because what else can we do? You know, it's like, what's the other option? The alternative is food bank completely runs out of, out of food. You have like literally freeway passes of lines. It's like we have to, to try something. And I think that was really the, the driver. I think if I do like look back, I'm from Los Angeles. If you're a kid from Los Angeles who grew up in the 2000s, you looked up to Kobe Bryant and his entire thing was like, you never stop, you never give up and you keep pushing. And I think that actually 
for what it's worth, I don't know, like Kobe had literally passed like right before the pandemic had started. And I think it was on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. And do you find in the students that work with youth today, is it the same driver, the same passion? Because the context obviously has changed. The issue is the same, but it's a very different context. Or do you, the students you now work with see it still the same? I think it's an even more exciting thing because during the pandemic, we were responding to like an acute crisis. But now we're working to build the future that we want to see for the world. We're not even view this as a fix a problem. We're trying to build a food system in a world that we want to see exist. And so I think students are like more excited than ever to work on this, to have the opportunity to go work with farmers who have specific problems and help them work through this, help them figure out how we get this surplus. Or it's students who are working on quantifying like the methane emission impact of food waste so that we can quantify the climate benefit of preventing it from going to landfill. So then our organization doesn't need to rely on philanthropy, but we can actually show, hey, you know, for every pound of food that we're rescuing, we're reducing two pounds of CO2 equivalent emissions and we can quantify it in this way. And so I think just like the scope of this and like students, I would say like appetite for change, make this like a really exciting place to be right now. And what is the state of the organization today, James? Uh, today, we've delivered 110 million pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables throughout North America. So primarily in the US, but also Mexico and Canada. We have a run a fellowship program, which is dubbed like Teach for America for the Food System. But it's a bunch of students who are put on the front lines of these problems and actually work to build solutions like in conjunction with the local communities. And then full-time team of about 20 people who are focused on scaling up FarmLink's food recovery operation. So our goal is to get to providing 1 billion pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables by the end of 2025. So you told at the beginning is that you went home because the university shut down. When the university reopened, did you go back? No, <laughs> I did not. I think we were six months into this and we were still calling it a project. Like that's why it's called the FarmLink project is because it was just a project. It wasn't an organization. It wasn't supposed to be anything. But I think in looking back, sort of when there was like time to go back to school and we realized, oh, we're running this thing of hundreds of college students. We're managing millions of dollars, delivering millions of meals around the, the US. Like it was an obvious decision. And it wasn't just me who dropped out. It was a bunch of other college students too. Some of my closest friends who just decided, hey, like this is the time, you know, we're going to look back 60 years from now and you're going to ask yourself, what did you do during this time? And the answer was not go back to school. Wow. When you think about, so you're the CEO of FarmLink Project or FarmLink as of today, think about five years from now. Where do you see yourself and where do you see the organization? So FarmLink's big mission is to make the world's abundance of nutritious food accessible for everyone. And rather than use the word like food waste or even surplus, we use the word abundance because we want to emphasize that it's an amazing thing that our food system can produce this much food. That is like one of the greatest feats of humankind is that we're very close to being able to produce enough food to feed a growing population. The question is, what do we do with that abundance? Can we make it accessible for everyone or does it go to waste? Does it go to landfills where it produces methane? And food waste was like a country would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions only behind the US and China. So. The question is like, what are we going to do with this abundance of surplus food? And that's what FarmLink's mission is about. 
it's to try to make that accessible for everyone. So we have this 2025 goal of scaling up to provide a billion pounds of fresh, nutritious food to families throughout North America. And from there, I think that's like literally tip of the iceberg for what's actually possible here. And then thinking about your goal from where you are today to getting to the billion pounds. So what are ultimately the factors that are slowing you down or the other way around? What would accelerate you achieving with your organization, your broader stated goal? Oh, so many, so many things. Um, but if I, if I were to simplify it, I would say one is that like the entire farming food system, it runs on trust and you can really only move at the speed of trust. And so while all this surplus is there at the end of the day, we have to build that trust and we have to earn it, honestly, with our actions and by showing up for our growers every day and making sure that we are the most economically viable option for them to deal with their surplus. That looks like a lot of being in person. That looks like a lot of meeting on their farm, shaking their hands, looking them in the eye and telling them that you're going to be there and that this isn't just like some project that's going to go away because it takes a lot of investment for them. And most farmers, they have 10 things to do and they only have time to do two of them. That's their reality. And so for us to like make that priority list at all, we really need to be coming with a value proposition that's valuable to them. So I would say building that trust, that's probably our biggest, biggest barrier to date. That's a really interesting answer. I've not heard that moving at the speed of trust. The other one I would ask you, James, is that I would assume a farmer with a surplus, and let's say it is a producer of vegetables and fruit, their choice is to harvest the product or not. So the cost of ultimately harvesting, how does a farmer in your context get actually reimbursed for that? Because in order to get it, it needs to be harvested. How does that work? So a lot of the, the farm food that we're recovering today is food that's actually already been harvested. And it's now either sitting in a cold storage facility or a processing facility or a packing house. And then what happens is an order gets canceled or an order is one too late or it was a little too hot for two days in a row or there was you know 1% too much rain. And all those things change the amount of food that actually like nature ends up growing. And so they end up with more than they need. So we're largely to date just targeting, we call it like post-harvest loss. That's what we're focused on for getting to the billion pound goal. And so for just to be clear for them, the alternative right now is paying a waste hauler to take this to landfill. It literally costs them dumping fees. So it costs them money. It costs them time. They know it's not good for the environment. Their consumers don't want to hear about this. And so this is sort of like another way where we can say, hey, we can reduce your cost on this. We can reduce your time on this. And it's this good story that helps people, that supports your community, that your consumers are going to love. If another student would come to you today and to say, you know, I see this incredible problem. I would like, love to work on that with some of my friends. And I would love to learn more from your experiences. What would you tell him or her about how to go about creating a movement like you have done? We had this like little saying that has always stuck with me. Someone, I'm not sure who on our team said it, of like, dream big, start small, move fast. And so if you're with a group of friends and you want to start something, like have a big dream, have something that's worth working on, that if it works, it could really, really change things. Keep that dream in mind, but somewhat forget about it and start as small as possible. Figure out how you can test this tomorrow and like actually get out of the door. So for FarmLink, we had this dream of making the world's abundance of nutritious food accessible for everyone. The way we started small was saying, let's find one farm and one food bank and drive a U-Haul truck from that farm to the food bank. And so I think that kind of principle of 
breaking it down into the smallest piece will help you get started, which is where I think most people end up dropping out. And then the last thing is, is move fast. Time is obviously your most valuable resource. And when you actually go rent that U-Haul truck and you start small, you're going to learn so much so quickly. And if you can be learning at a rate, like eventually you won't feel like you're making that much progress. But then if you like stop and you look back, you realize, wow, from where we started from that U-Haul truck, we're actually pretty far along and we still have this mountain to get over. And it might not seem possible to make the world's abundance of nutritious food accessible for everyone. We're standing looking up at a mountain, but if we keep making it small, we keep moving quickly. Each time when we look back, we realize, wow, we're actually starting to get up this thing. Fascinating learnings, James. Question for you about your organization. So you're still all over the US, if I understand it correctly? Correct. So you're working with students all over the US as well. And what I heard you say as well, you know, students take not necessarily no for an answer. What is it like to work with students all over the US with their own interpretation of how your organization should be run, how to do specific things? So how do you find this interesting balance between you have a great idea, a great view with your organization, how you would like FarmLink to work. And at the same time, you're dependent on all kinds of students who might know it just as well, if not better than you do. That is what makes FarmLink FarmLink. The students that we're bringing on, they know this way better than I do and way better than our leadership does. And that's the beauty of it. It may be the farmer's daughter. It may be the truck driver's son. They've lived this. They deeply understand these problems and the things that they're facing. And what FarmLink is about is trying to empower them with their ideas and be able to get them started and get them moving. So rather than it's like there's this top-down directive of we have to do this, and then typically what people think of is like you have an orchestra and it's like the flutes and then the, you know, the harp and this thing. It's like that's not at all how Farmlink operates. Farmlink's operating like a jazz band. You have students who are starting to work on this and it's like, hey, we can quantify the methane. That's interesting. And then the development people are like, whoa, we could create a carbon credit. Wow, that can be used for fundraising. Wow, that lets us recover more food. So then another team jumps in. And so it's much more the interplay between these different teams, sort of having something that they kind of want to do, but then listening to those other teams and starting to make something that's, that's new and different. That's the way that we, I'd say, harness the fact that people have a lot of amazing ideas on the team and sort of use the student thing to our advantage, as opposed to like, if we were trying to be a symphony, yes, it, it would be chaos. So wonderful. So you have a team of 20 or so as well that actually work with the organization. I would say they're paid employees. Correct. From a funding perspective, is it through donations? How do you ultimately keep the organization going from that perspective? Yes. So when we started FarmLink, it was literally these 5 and $10 like mom and pop donations from across the country of people saying, I don't even know if this is going to work, but thank you guys for trying. Then corporate donations started to come in of like, wow, this actually kind of works in spite of itself. We would love to fund this. And like, here's these students doing this thing. And then that started to allow us to work even more. And then uh, it started to be like grants and foundations being like, wait a sec, this is like a pretty simple, elegant solution of making fresh, healthy, nutritious food accessible. And so then they started donating. So now I'd say we're kind of split between those three things where you have like individual donations or a quarter, then like grants and then kind of companies. Um, so it's sort of this collection. And now like the next frontier, I would say, is government funding, which we've received $0 from the government. But in comparison to other options for addressing this, this is 10x less expensive, is working with the fresh interest of surplus that we already have and making that accessible. 
And so I think we're excited about that frontier as well. And truthfully, to get to like a billion meals, it's not just going to be driven by like mom and pop donations. We need to try to bring more groups and more people to the table. Yeah. And in that context, so our hope with this podcast is that we'll inspire action. So I want, I have, or I need. How can listeners help your organization? What is it that you're looking for? If you are a student who wants to be a part of changing the food system, FarmLink is the place for you. And like apply to FarmLink's fellowship. Whether you join the remote team that you can do while you're at your university. So these are students who are delivering millions of meals in between classes, or you're joining the field fellowship, which is that Teach for America for the food system, where we're actually going to put you on the front line of problems that our food system is facing so that you can work and co-develop solutions with the community. Like oftentimes the people who are facing the problems actually have solutions that are like really amazing. And it's your job about how, you know, how can you help them work through that? So I would say like from a student perspective, those are the two things. If you are like a food system partner and you're listening to this podcast, maybe maybe your grocery store or distribution outlet, things like that, or you're, you're a farmer, like we want to work with you and meet your needs to make the world's abundance and nutritious food accessible for everyone, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We know you don't want this food to go to waste. You're in the business of feeding people. We want to help you with that business. So we'd love to partner together, like reach out to FarmLink Project and someone will call you back within five minutes. And then the last thing is whether it's people, whether you're in policy, whether it is mom and pops, whether you, you have something to give, you're thinking about how to make an impact, like FarmLink's commitment to you is that we will put that money to work and show you exactly how many meals and what communities that's serving. And I think if enough people actually buy into that, we can make the world's abundance and nutritious food accessible for everyone. Just the meal gap here in the United States, it's like about 6.4 billion meals. So they say like that's the number of meals that we're missing of like nutritious food on any given year. We're wasting over 20 billion pounds of fresh, nutritious food every year in the United States. So it's like less than 5% that we need to recover and distribute and make accessible in community life at schools, uh, after school programs, churches, mosques, temples. This is actually a solvable problem, but it does take everyone working together to do it. So I'd say those are kind of the three groups and we'd love to work together. There's a clear call fraction over here and maybe a little looking into the future. So when you look at the progress you've made in a relatively short period of time, three years plus, and what's on the horizon, what excites you the most about what is ahead of you? I'm most excited in a weird way. I think about the community we're building. And we always say is like the community that we're building at FarmLink is as important as the food that we're moving. And when I think about this community of farmers, of ranchers, of students from all across the country, of donors, community supporters who really care about this problem, you start to realize that like this thing actually is solvable if you can get the right people at the table. When I think about FarmLink's impact in the future, I don't think it's going to be about the meals that we delivered at all. I think it's going to be what these students go on to do. 10, 15 years from now, they may be heading the USDA, the World Food Program, starting their own FarmLink's, their own nonprofits, like for-profit organizations, finding ways to make the world's abundance of nutritious food accessible for everyone. And I really think like 10, 15 years from now, that's what's going to bring about real change. It won't be the food that we moved at all. The food we move is simply, it's a way to inspire people to continue to create those actions and that multiplying effect. I think that's what I'm most excited about. Wow. Well said. Last question, James. Is there anything I haven't asked you today that you would like to share with our listeners? 
I would say if people are listening to this and you have something that you want to start, do it. 99% of people, they never get started. And that's like where the, the dream ends. Most people have something they're dreaming about. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're thinking about the food system. You're thinking about maybe wanting to make a change. If I could like push you over the edge, even 1% to just like go try to do something tomorrow on that, that is what's going to create real changes. We need like hundreds or thousands of people who are going to be building things like this. And if FarmLink can help at all, reach out and we want to support you and help you on your way, or at least share some of the learnings on a way so you don't make the same mistakes that we did. If you would like to learn more about the FarmLink project or get involved, visit farmlinkproject.org and be sure to check out the show notes for more resources from today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked what you heard, like and subscribe to our podcast at foodlaptop.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And as we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and inspiring actions towards a better food system for us all. See you next time.